This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. This year marks the 60th anniversary of the world's most famous alien abduction case. Although it wasn't the first case of alien abduction, the encounter of Betty and Barney Hill in September 1961 on a lonely New Hampshire road is widely regarded to be the first that captured the attention of a nation. And so thrusting the subject of alien abduction into the international spotlight. And although like every claim of alien abduction, there are skeptics. Many consider the account and the Hill themselves to be beyond genuine. Perhaps the fact that they were an interracial couple at a time when many parts of the United States were still very much resistant to integration and equal rights for black and minority Americans would suggest they were not looking for unnecessary attention, especially the kind that would paint them in a negative light. In short, they would appear to have very little to gain from the fabrication of such claims. So we will be discussing the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction case 60 years later. Kathleen Martin is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. She's standing by and will join me for the uh, hour. Coming up in hour two, engineer, scientist, entrepreneur Chris Burris from C60 Evo will join me to discuss the miracle molecule C60, carbon 60, and the consumable form of carbon 60, which is ESS60, a powerful antioxidant, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. So Kathleen Martin, as I stated earlier, the niece of the late Betty and Barney Hill, she's MUFON's director of experiencer research and a board of, and a board of directors member of the Edgar Mitchell Foundation of Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters. Kathleen is one of the world's foremost authorities on UFO contact. She's the author of several books, a featured on-camera commentator and an international lecturer. She earned a BA degree in social work and worked as an educator and education services coordinator while attending graduate school. 
the 60th anniversary edition of her book, co-authored by the late Stanton Friedman, captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO, UFO experience will be released in just a couple of weeks, April 2021. Kathleen Martin, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you. It's great to be back with you. I'm doing well. Hard to imagine. 60 years has gone by. Uh, Your uh, aunt and uncle, when did they start talking to you about it? They talked to me. I should say my aunt talked to me for the first time uh, directly on September 22nd. I believe it was 1961. Um, When I arrived home from school on September 20th, uh, my aunt and uncle had had the close encounter with a craft on the 19th uh, while they were driving home during the night. And uh, I arrived home from school and my mother was on the telephone with Betty and, and seeming very concerned Uh, Because Betty was concerned that a craft had come so close to their vehicle and to Barney the previous evening that uh, perhaps they were contaminated. And so that was the beginning. Uh, Within two days, my family drove to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, to Betty's and Barney's home. Barney was not himself that day. He uh, was sitting quietly. My father joined him. Barney was a gregarious person. He was always full of fun and very interested in everything that was going on with my two younger brothers and I. I was 13 at the time. And so we were uh, told not to speak with Barney that day. Uh, But Betty spoke with us about their sighting and took showed us the watches that were broken, took us out to the vehicle that had strange shiny spots on the trunk that hadn't been there the day before that uh, were magnetized. So uh, very perplexing. And then I was there to witness the unfolding of this entire event. Right, right. And uh, so this happened just, I guess, south of Lancaster, New Hampshire. They're on their way back from a holiday in Niagara Falls. Yes. And um, uh, that that night, I guess Jupiter was visible in the night sky and there was the, the moon was bright and and your aunt sees this uh, this light uh, seems to be tracking them. And that at some point, and they estimated, I guess, what, about 40 feet long. At some point, it's hovering in front of them uh, about 100 feet, but it, it's so large, it fills their entire vision. And and Barney gets out of the car. Now, I didn't realize this until recently. He was actually, I believe, packing a pistol, right? He got out, made sure his pistol was in his pocket when he got out? Uh, yes. He the car, What happened is the craft surged ahead and hovered directly over the highway, about 200 feet above Betty and Barney. And so Barney had to stop the car in the middle of the road, straddling the line. He grabbed his binoculars. He put the gun that was on the seat into his pocket. He'd taken the gun from the trunk um, earlier when uh, they stopped 
and uh, he feared that bears might be in the area. It was a picnic area. So the gun remained in the, on the front seat of the car. And uh, he put it into his pocket. He uh, stepped out of the car and looked up at the craft. He did not believe that it was possible that we could be visited by extraterrestrial beings. He, he thought that flying saucers were ludicrous. And he was attempting to prove that this is not what he was observing as this craft just hung in the air uh, 200 feet above him. He had his and, binoculars with him too, right? Yes, he held his binoculars to his eyes. And when he stepped back from the vehicle, the craft shifted to an adjacent field and now descended to within 100 feet of Barney. And he held the binoculars to his eyes. He looked up into that craft. There was a, a lighted row of windows. And behind the windows, he observed uh, non-human entities. Uh, they were dressed in shiny black uniforms. And uh, they, all of a sudden, uh, all but one, turned in unison and went to a panel on a wall. Their arms went up. He could see them uh, all the way down to about their knees. And when their arms went out, uh, little fin-like structures started to slide out of the side of the craft, each side, and something began to drop out the bottom of the craft. At that time, he thought it was a rope. Uh, since then, uh, we know that that is the beam that the ETs travel on and take humans on into the craft. So anyway, Barney didn't know that at the time, but he was became terrified. Right. He thought that there was a plan for him. He knew that these beings were somehow not human. That's a quote, somehow right. not human. And, and Betty's he, still in the car. Betty and is in the car. Yes. Is and and he he starts running back towards the car. Is this when he he also shouts uh they're going to capture us? Yes, it is. It is. He ran back to the car in hysterical condition at telling Barney uh, telling Betty that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. And as he was entering the car that he had left running, he noticed that the craft was traveling in his direction. So he said to Betty, roll down the window and look up. I think they're over us. And so she did. She was expecting to be to see lights. She didn't see any lights, even though it was a bright light night. It, the moon was about three quarters full. And all she saw was blackness. So she rolled up the window again and she said, I don't see them, Barney. And then within seconds, she and Barney heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds that seemed to be striking the trunk of their 1957 Chevy, Bel Air, and it caused the car to vibrate and for a tingling sensation to pass through their bodies. They remembered very little, but found themselves 35 miles down the road with full recall of what they had observed up to the point where they, Barney stood in the field 
And then they had this period of missing time, uh, as if only a moment had passed their 35 miles down the road with spotty memories of a fiery orb that seemed right. to be sitting on the road and of a roadblock. Um, they didn't know where that occurred, but it was part of their vague memories. So they, Betty, when they got home, there was like two hours had elapsed by the time they got home, right? Just be, just uh, after dawn. Yes, they they arrived home at 5.15 in the morning. They had an anticipated arrival of between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. So they were missing a significant chunk of time. And you mentioned the watches. They, they had stopped working. Now, were they visibly damaged uh, or they just stopped working? They were not visibly damaged. They just stopped working. Uh, they were wind up watches and uh, I know that it was 5.15 because when they arrived home they looked at their watches to see what time it was and uh, their watches had stopped working so Betty reset her watch and and she set it to 5.15 which was the time that uh, the clock in her house set Right, And so uh, that's the time that the watch she was wearing that night is set to. Right, because they, they never worked again, did they? They never did, no. She wound and, it up and it didn't work. And do you have those watches today or where are those I, watches? I have Betty's watch. Amazing. They never worked again. And her dress was torn and there was a strange pink powder uh, present on the dress. Um, yes, what else? The pink powder grew later. Uh, her dress was torn in several places, at the top of the zipper, in the thick zipper fabric. The hem was torn down on one side, and the lining was torn from waist to hemline. Um, they discovered that the binocular strap that Barney was, uh, had around his neck uh, was severed, and apparently he had pulled the binoculars from his eyes with such force that uh, it severed the le leather strap. Uh, also, there were those shiny spots on the trunk of the vehicle right. in the location where they had heard the beeping sounds or buzzing sounds. And uh, so Betty phoned my mother. There was a physicist who was a neighbor of ours and the physicist suggested that if Betty had a compass, she should take it out to the trunk of the car to see how the needle would react. And so she did. Uh, she started on the side of the car and there was no reaction. But then when she placed it over those spots, the needle would spin and spin. Mm, if she remarkable. took it to another part of the car, the needle would drop down. Amazing, amazing. Uh, how long did those spots remain magnetized? We're not certain about that. Uh, she ended up selling the vehicle uh, to her daughter and her daughter's husband. Uh, and the spots were still there when they purchased the car. Um, and and then they, uh, they eventually traded it in. So we have never been able to determine where that car is, what happened to it, or when the spots disappeared. 
if wow, they wouldn't did. it be wouldn't it be wonderful to have that car uh, today? Yes. Um, then there was some rather strange and confusing behavior ensued. They they started taking a lot of showers. Yes, well, that was immediately after they arrived home. They felt contaminated. You know, the, the, the craft was so close to them. And uh, they thought that they could wash off whatever contamination there was by taking long showers. So that's what they did. Right. And and your aunt always had her luggage. I'm not sure when this happened. She was she was ready and, and packed and ready to go at a moment's notice. Did that also happen almost right away or when did that behavior develop? Uh, she was uh, I did. I am not aware that she was packed and oh. ready to go at a moment's notice. The, I, I'm sorry. About, I, had, I, I had read an account where she had she had her luggage packed all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I don't think that's true because I think okay. I would be aware of it. I was at I'm, her house at least twice a week. I have no doubt that she would be aware of that. So that's <laughs> that's one of those incidents that may be uh, the sounds as if it's apocryphal. But there were in some accounts a report that she was packing her luggage anyway. Um, now, so uh, when did they reach out to um, the military base? Is it Peace Air Force Base? Yes, it was Pease Air Force Base in Newington, New Hampshire. And when Betty phoned my mother, uh, the chief of police from the neighboring town was uh, at our home. He was my father's best friend, and he'd stop by for coffee every night at about 5 o'clock. And so uh, he told my mother that... Uh, the officer from Pease Air Force Base had notified the police departments if they had uh, received UFO reports that they would advise the people to report it to Pease Air Force Base. And so Betty received that message and she called Pease that night. And uh, then the uh, Pease called back the following day and uh, clarified information that they had received. So the report was written on September 21st. Right. And um, the the letter, it, I guess, did it make its way to, to Major Donald Kehoe uh, first, or was it Major Paul Henderson that first received the report? Major Paul Henderson uh, received a report via the telephone from both Betty and Barney. Now, it was uh, Donald Kehoe, the director of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, who received a letter from Betty and Barney uh, that described their sighting. It described, or Betty actually drew the stair-step pattern that the craft was making, the unconventional uh, flight behavior. Uh, she also talked in detail about the buzzing or beeping sounds on the trunk of the vehicle uh, and expressed uh, wonder if it might have been Morse code. And uh, she spoke about uh, the entities that Barney saw on the craft that were dressed in black shiny uniforms who frightened him greatly, uh, so greatly that he seemed to have 
uh, forgotten. He could not get through this block of what their faces looked like. We're coming up on a break, Kathleen, but when we come back, we'll uh, we'll delve further into this. But I'm just curious about the timing of when they decided or when they started considering undergoing hypnotic regression so that they could remember some of these blocks was I mean, was 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 it bet your Aunt Betty more interested in the regression or your uh, or Barney? Uh, it was both of them. OK. Yeah. And uh, all right. And uh, the, um, the the arranging of that hypnotic regression uh, when it did because it didn't happen right away. It was a couple of years later, wasn't it? It was a couple of years later. Immediately, uh, my father had spoken with Barney about that possibility uh, to uh, kind of shake loose uh, that memory of uh, these entities, of the, of the faces on the entities. And But uh, over time, Barney developed post-traumatic stress disorder and bleeding ulcers. He was hospitalized uh, and... So uh, he actually took a leave of absence from work because his health had declined and it was connected to this sighting. So uh, he was eventually referred to Dr. Benjamin Simon, a famous neuropsychiatrist in Boston, Massachusetts, who had uh, set up the psychiatric unit at the Mason General Hospital during World War II. All right, we'll um, we'll pick up on that. We'll also talk about uh, five nights of very intense, strange dreams uh, that your aunt uh, Betty experienced as well. Kathleen Martin is with us, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, the most famous alien abduction case in history, the 60th anniversary this year and the 60th anniversary edition of her book, co-authored by the late Stanton authored Captured, will be out next month. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Kathleen Martin is with us, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, and uh, the 60th anniversary edition of Captured will be uh, released in just a couple of weeks in April 2021, of course, co-authored by the late, great Stanton Friedman. Uh, So these dreams that started, I guess, about maybe 10 days after the incident uh, can you that that Betty had? Uh, can you describe those dreams? Betty had a series of five dreams, and they occurred just before she woke up in the morning. And uh, she was dreaming about conscious recall that she had of the trip. Yet sandwiched in between these dreams were dreams of uh, an abduction. Uh, that she was captured and Barney was captured by non-human entities that looked very human. The ones in her dreams uh, had uh, kind of a grayish skin, but they looked uh, very Southern European in appearance, about five to five and a half feet tall, uh, thick black hair, eyebrows, uh, uh, normal human features. Uh, lips were a little blue, 
and wearing blue cadet uniforms. That's not, that is not what they remembered under hypnosis, but that is what she dreamed. And, and, and she never experienced them again after that, those five nights. So it, does it sound to you as if those dreams may have been somehow, I don't know, outside of her control planted in order to um, maybe throw them off the, the the trail in terms of, you know, what these entities were? Well, I think it's just typical dream material. When we dream, we might dream, particularly just before we wake up in the morning, about an event that is real, that we experience. But always mixed in with dreams, you will have a little bit of fantasy material as well. So I don't think that the the dreams were put there by the ETs. And the reason I don't think that is because uh, as Betty was being escorted back to the car by uh, the ET who had charge of her, uh, he said to her, it would be best we had, the, we had decided if you and Barney don't remember this, she had wanted to take evidence that had occurred. And, uh, Betty said to him, I will remember. If it's the last thing I do, I will remember this. And so I think that that it, it was that that was bleeding through into those dreams that occurred very early in the morning just before waking. So uh, in, ad- in advance of the regression sessions, which again are still a couple of years away, they they continue to return to this location on, was it Route 3? In New Hampshire, um, well, they would had been driving on Route Three, so yes, they would retrace their route uh, along Route Three past Cannon Mountain and Indian Head, and uh, then uh, they would they remembered being off Route Three. They remembered being on a dirt road, so they traveled on Route One Seventy Five, which runs parallel. To Route Three, I'm sure they took many other roads too. Just right. a- attempting to identify the location where they saw the craft and the roadblock, um, but they were not able to find that dirt road until after they had undergone hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, the hypnosis is uh, when they meet Doctor, uh, when they meet Benjamin Simon. Is that like December of sixty-three? Yes. Uh, so when do the actual regression regressions take place? The regressions began in February of nineteen sixty-four, and lasted for about uh, three or four months, and they were taken separately. And while the other one waited in a soundproof room with loud music playing, and uh, Dr. Simon reinstated the amnesia at the end of each session. He did this for two reasons. One, so that they would not contaminate one another's information. He wanted to check out their statements, just as I did in my comparative analysis in Captured. And also... Both Betty and Barney had emotional outbursts. They were terrified 
over what was happening at certain times. And if they had remembered, Dr. Simon feared that it would cause greater anxiety. So what did uh, Barney recall first? Because he was the one that got out of the car and approached the craft. What did what did he recall through regression? Well, first, I want to say that Dr. Simon uh, regressed them to the beginning of their trip and through the entire trip, what they saw, what they were doing. And finally, to the point where uh, they found their car on a dirt road and there was a roadblock. And uh, what Barney remembered is that the, the group divided into two uh, groups of three, and three went to Barney's side of the car. Uh, he put his hand on his gun, but he decided not to take his gun because he thought he would be injured if he did. Uh, he opened the door, and they took him from the car and what he remembered then, uh, he, he had his eyes closed, but he he knew he was being supported, but he could not feel hands on him, supporting him. He felt almost as if he was floating, and only the toes of his shoes were bumping along the rocks. Then he remembered that they slid up what seemed like a ramp and bumped at the top, and then he was taken into the craft and to uh, an examining room. Ah, that's interesting. An interesting detail, the uh, the toes of his shoes, because when they got home, we mentioned Betty's torn dress. We mentioned the, the watches, uh, but his 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 shiny shoes, I guess you're I guess Barney was pretty um, uh particular about shiny shoes and, and the, the, the toes the toes were scuffed and he couldn't figure out why and there yes. we have it mm. and actually he told dr simon that he could not understand how his shoes were so deeply scraped the toes of his shoes right. so he didn't use the word scuffed he used the word scraped, scraped. meaning okay. deeply right and yes. uh, at what point is he is is he kind of shouting out or yelling out something about those eyes, they're in my brain. Uh, that is uh, when he was being controlled, uh, where he was no longer uh, the the driver of the car, you might say. He might have been behind the wheel, but there were eyes in his head that were pushing into his head, uh, controlling him. Right. And he recalled a cup-like device placed over his genitals? This is in the examining room. He had a complete uh, exam, uh, which included uh, neurological tests. They were very interested in their skeletal structure, in their muscular structure. Um, They closely examined their hands, their feet, their fingernails, their mouths. And at the end, just before the exam ended, they uh, pulled his trousers down. Uh, They had now learned how to uh, unzip a zipper, apparently, uh, because they had broken Betty's. And uh, they pulled his trousers down and placed a cup-like device over his genitals. 
Now, there's an interesting detail because he also he talks about their method of communication and keeping in mind that Barney is not, you know, interested previously in aliens or UFOs. But when he talks about their method of communication, he uses the term thought transference, which is kind of interesting. Why is that an important detail? It's important because they communicated through telepathy. Right. But that's we we know that now. We talk about yes. that now. But he he would not have known that, right? No, no, he would not have known that. His and Betty's case was the first scientifically investigated UFO abduction in the United States. And they had absolutely no knowledge of anything that occurred outside the United States. They had no interest in UFOs prior to this. Right, right. And so uh, Betty under regression, um, what is her experience? And we're coming up on a break, so we'll start discussing Betty and then we'll, we'll continue after the break. But what, what comes out during Betty's regression? Well, she, uh, going back to the car, was terrified. She'd never been so scared in her entire life. She put her hand on the door and she was going to attempt to escape into the woods, but she was intercepted. One of the entities pointed something at her and she lost consciousness. Uh, she was taken down a path uh, and then as uh, she woke up, as she approached the craft and they wanted to take her on, but she fought for her life and she kicked one of them and the hem of her dress was torn down and the lining was torn when she kicked this entity. They regained control of her, took her onto the craft and placed her in, the, in a separate examining room and did the same type of exam on Betty that they did on Barney. Uh, they inserted a needle into her navel? Uh, yes, they, instead of using a cup-like uh, device, they produced a needle. She said, uh, what are you going to do with that? And they informed her that it was only a simple test. They made her understand that it was something like a pregnancy test. And this is before we had developed amniocentesis and it was being used in hospitals. So uh, she said, don't do it. But the examiner plunged the needle into her navel, causing so much agony that Dr. Simon had to end the hypnosis session early. Wow. All right. Kathleen, stay put. We'll take another time out, come back and uh, talk some more. Well, we'll have to get to the star map, of course. Betty's famous star map. That's upcoming. Kathleen Martin, the 60th anniversary edition of Captured. Back with more. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Kathleen, before we get to the uh, the star map, I just want to get a quick question in here from the live chat, the YouTube live chat. And we are streaming live on 
Strange Planet on YouTube tonight. Uh, Wayne Kozak asks, he's been trying for years to find out about the Hills dog. What effect did this have on on him? That's uh, their dog, Delcy. Yes. Was he he abducted as well? As far as Betty and Barney know, he wasn't abducted. Uh, He was uh, squeezed in, shaking as uh, far as he could go under the front seat of the car when Barney was returned to the car. He was returned first before Betty. All right. And uh, so the dog did... uh, apparently uh, developed some anxiety as well because uh, it would uh, have sort of nightmares or dreams after that and her little uh, legs would uh, be running and she would be yelping. And she also developed a fungus infection on her Hmm. back. Interesting, interesting. Uh, All right, so back to the star map. Zeta Reticuli. Um, first of all, that star map came to her in her dreams initially, didn't it? Uh, she did dream about a star map. Yes. Right. But then under the regression with, um, Benjamin Simon, then it became more clear. The details came out, right? Was she able to, was she able to draw the, the star map in, in detail after the regression or during the regression? Dr. Simon told her to draw the star map if she could uh, draw it uh, accurately from memory, and it didn't bother her too much. So over the next couple of weeks, she did draw the star map and then took it into his office to him. And so people look, some people have, have said that that star map closely resembles the Zeta Reticuli system. Uh, so, th- was that system um, uh, known to astronomers at that time? I, yes, astronomers were aware of it, uh, and there were other stars on the map that uh, were not on uh, the map that Betty uh, drew. Uh, let me let me step back for a moment and state that. Marjorie Fish was a brilliant woman from Ohio who saw that map published in the first book that was ever written about their case way back in 1966 before any of the real investigation was done. Right. Interrupted journey. Yes. And uh, she thought that if this place existed in our galactic neighborhood, that she'd be able to find it. At first, she thought she would have many matches, but after four years, she still didn't have a match for the stars on Betty's map. But there was a new catalog uh, that was published. She went to the university. She wrote down all of the distance data, and uh, she knew all of the properties of the the different stars. Uh, And she had, at this point, constructed 14 three-dimensional models. Uh, and had done all the math to know where to put each star in its proper location. In one of her models, she had 256 stars in their proper location, out 54 light years from our sun. My word. Unbelievable work. She was so patient and brilliant at the same time. Uh, Finally, that new catalog... uh, 
did have the uh, good distance data, um, and she was able to now add stars on the map that hadn't been there, and lo and behold, she had a match. That's uh, that's remarkable, and um, so the the idea that these aliens came from the Zeta Reticuli uh, system. Um, I mean, what do we know now about that system? Are are there planets there that could be inhabitable? Well, uh, we still do not have the technology to know a lot about Zeta one and Zeta two reticuli uh we would only see uh you know a blip from an extraordinarily uh large planet uh they are in the the volume of space where uh there are many exoplanets so perhaps uh there are planets there what uh, is most interesting, I think, is not that Marjorie found this, but that these stars on Betty's map had special properties. All of the stars connected by solid lines and dotted lines are sun-like stars, although only 5% of the stars in that portion of our galactic neighborhood are sun-like. And all of the sun-like stars in that part of our galactic neighborhood are on Betty's map. And then the astronomers who analyzed this said that these are the routes that we would take if we were traveling in space. They were the most logical routes to go to and to stop at. Wow. Just, you know, it it just lends so much credibility uh, to this whole story. We'll uh, take another time out, come back. Kathleen Martin, the 60th edition, the 60th anniversary edition of Captured, co-authored by the late Stanton Friedman out in April. And uh, we'll be back with more of our conversation. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Chris Burris, engineer, scientist from C60 Evo. We'll talk about uh, carbon-60 and ESS-60, the the purest form, the consumable form of carbon-60. Kathleen Marden is with us. And again, the uh, 60th anniversary edition of Captured, co-authored by the late Stanton Friedman, will be out in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Before we get back to our conversation, I want to just jump in here with another question from our YouTube live chat. Show Me the Truth 74 asks, the aliens seem to follow and watch generations of individuals in some families. Kathleen, have you had any uh, visitations from these intruders? I have worked on two academic-type studies with uh, PhD scientists on experiencers. And what we discovered is that it is generational, intergenerational, in 60% of the experiencers. Uh, Have I had contact? Well, I, uh, I have to say that I believe that I have. Uh, I have memories of it. There was a craft that landed 
only 200 feet from my childhood home when I was 17 years old. And my mother and I had identical memories of being taken to that craft, terrified. We worked with uh, Dr. James Harder at the time, who was a uh, leading UFO investigator for the for the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, and uh, we insisted that our experiences remain confidential. My mother has now passed away, and uh, so I am feel that I'm free to state that, yes, uh, she also had a period of missing time when I was a teenager, where she would go grocery shopping every Friday night. On this particular night, she didn't come home at the appointed time. She always arrived home at the same time, or approximately the same time. On this particular night, we were, my father, my two brothers, and I were very worried about her. And finally, she came in hours later than she, her anticipated arrival. She didn't realize that she was late. They took the groceries from the car, and the frozen food had thawed. The ice cream was soup. So I believe that my mother was taken in addition to Betty. All right. That's, um, I mean, that's worthy of an entire show just on its own. And we'll hopefully have you back soon and, and talk some more about that. But getting back to uh, Betty and Barney uh, and Dr. Benjamin Simon, what were his conclusions after conducting these private and separate regressions with Betty and Barney? He had always attempted to find a common explanation for what had occurred. He knew his conclusion was that Betty and Barney uh, were not psychotic, that they were not suffering from a, uh, a shared hallucination or uh, psychosis. They uh, did have an experience with the UFO. He was willing to go that far. He believed in their honesty, but he stated that he did not feel that he uh, could believe that they were actually abducted uh, until there was scientific evidence to confirm this. So the 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 gray alien connection and 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 this this case, the Betty and Barney Hill case, has sort of become the template, um, you know, for future future cases but the gray alien is it's been suggested that there was an episode of the outer limits featuring a gray alien that happened maybe several days before uh their their abduction and that may have influenced uh them did they did they see that episode did, did they ever talk about that episode no they did not watch that show I, I asked them, and Carl Flock, who was a former assistant secretary of defense, investigated that case and looked through Betty's bookcases, uh, interviewed Betty, and stated after his investigation that, one, uh, she was not interested in science fiction. They did not watch those shows. Nights they were going out to uh meetings uh, on civil rights, on human rights, uh, 
the church meetings. Uh, they worked on the poverty program for the state of New Hampshire. They were doing many good things for the state. And uh, so, uh, no, they did not see that. Uh, it was the invention in, in the mind of someone who was skeptic, skeptical and not willing to accept the evidence. Right, right. And there, but previously to their case in 61, because there were, I mean, th- this is not the first alien abduction case. It's certainly the, the most famous, the one that brought it to the world's attention. But in previous abduction cases, let's say from the 1950s, were there incidents involving uh, alleged greys? Uh, no. The the only previous case that uh, we knew of back, the scientists knew of, was the An, uh, Antonio Villas Boas case in Brazil. Uh, but that was not known until 1966 or 67, although it happened in 1958. And... Uh, those entities uh, he did not describe as having gray skin. They were they they were somewhat similar, but not really. Um, so, no. Uh, Betty and Barney, as far as I know, were the first ones to uh, have contact with these gray beings. Now, since then, as an investigator and a researcher, I have found other cases where uh, people had contact with the greys uh, dating back to the early 50s. Right. Uh, Barney died he was so young. Uh, I think he was only 46 from a cerebral hemorrhage. Um, was that at all, do you, do you think, related to the post-traumatic stress of this, this incident? I'm not certain about that. I do know that uh, Barney, during World War II, was involved in a percussion uh, accident or bomb where uh, he was he was injured. In fact, his medical record shows that he was in fair condition uh, in Newport News, Virginia, in the military hospital there uh, during World War II. And I have a neighbor who uh, is a medical doctor, and he was a doctor over in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. I think it was Afghanistan. And he was involved in uh, a percussion explosion. And it caused a weakness in a vein in his head, and he ended up having a small stroke as a result. Mm. And I wonder if my uncle Barney had the same problem, that there was a weakness and uh, that finally it burst. Uh, Betty lived to um, a, a pretty ripe age, a uh, ripe old age of 85, and she died yes. from cancer. Um, towards the end of her, her life, did she shed any new light um, on, on the incident? I had the opportunity to uh, interview her and spend a great deal of time with her because I'd promised her that uh, when she grew old, I would take care of her. 
so that she would not have to go to a nursing home. And uh, we had long conversations. Uh, the new the new light, I think, was when I was interviewing Betty and in a very relaxed state. She wouldn't let me put her into hypnosis, but uh, I, she was very relaxed. Uh, she became terrified. She couldn't go on with memories of what had happened on that craft. And, you know, a lot of people, though, think that this was a horrific experience. Betty, in her conscious recall, does not consider it to be uh, horrific. Uh, she said the entities were kind, that uh, they cared about Betty and Barney. They assured them that they would not be harmed, that they would be released after a few simple tests were accomplished. And uh, Betty ended up saying that of all the experiences in her life, this was probably uh, the one most outstanding experience. Uh, not only that, but it gave her the opportunity to meet many, many more people that she never would have met if uh, she hadn't had that experience. And I want to oh. say that in this uh, new book, there are extra chapters and new scientific information that we were not aware of when we wrote the first book. Well, people will just have to wait a couple more weeks. The 60th anniversary edition of Captured uh, due out in April. Kathleen, thank you so much for this. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And you can pre-order that book. Oh, on Amazon. Yes. and Barnes Terrific. And All right. Pre-order it, folks. Kathleen Martin. When we come back, the miracle molecule. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome, welcome all. The Miracle Molecule, Carbon 60 this hour. Chris Burroughs is with us to discuss ESS-60, the consumable form of C-60. This is the stuff that was fed to rats in the famous Paris Animal Study, and the rats lived just about twice their normal lifespan. Uh, before we get Chris in here, if you want to get behind uh, the work that I do here at Strange Planet Productions, and that includes this weekly syndicated radio program you're listening to right now, The Conspiracy Show, and also my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, you might consider becoming an official donor at patreon.com slash strangeplanet, Patreon dot com slash strange planet there are three tiers to choose from but any monthly amount greatly appreciated and depending on the donor tier you choose you can get your name read out on air once a month or your name included in a screen crawl during the youtube live stream you'll also receive an episode of my radio feature once per month and an episode of my podcast the rock and roll twilight zone you'll get that delivered to you once a month the rock and roll twilight zone is uh, is not currently available anywhere 
online at the moment. And I get a lot of people asking how they can uh, get a hold of that and listen to it. We did about 45 episodes, not doing any more, no plans to do any more. Uh, but now you can get it through patreon.com slash strange planet. And also, please take a moment and go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, uh, where you'll find a list of all my affiliate stations. You can also <clears throat> subscribe to my free monthly newsletter there, The Inner Sanctum, strangeplanet.ca. All right. Carbon 60 was discovered back in the mid-80s, and the three men who discovered it won Nobel Chemistry Prizes because it was the first new form of carbon to be discovered in roughly 300 years. Now, ESS-60 is the formulation of carbon-60, which is used, again, in that original study that showed ESS-60 would double the lifespan of rats. ESS-60 is basically it's Rossi-60 that's been processed for safer human consumption. And uh, Chris Burroughs is an engineer who confirmed those findings on carbon-60. This Nobel Prize-winning technology originally meant for military defense is now being sought out by global mega corporations and, uh, well, people like you and me that can now safely consume it for uh, optimum health. And uh, great to have Chris Burroughs here once again from C60 Evo. Hey, Chris, how are you? Wonderful, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm terrific, thank you. So uh, what's the latest, the latest research on, on uh, ESS-60? What are you working on right now? Well, so we're working on a couple of, of pretty amazing things. The first is related to sleep. Um, and we actually started that study back in 2019. Uh, I'm working with a, a gentleman by the name of Benjamin. He's an associate professor out of the University of California, San Diego. And he's actually a consultant for a, a company called Aura Ring. <clears throat> if you're not familiar with Aura Ring, it sits on your index finger, and it's one of the best sleep trackers on the market right now. And there's a number of them, but the, the Oura Ring is definitely one of the best. And because he's a consultant for Oura Ring, if we get participants into our study and they uh, give him permission, he can look at the back end, see a lot more data than is available just on the app that comes with it. I have right. So another. So yeah. So go ahead. Finish. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've, I've got an aura ring and, and you get good data on the app, um, and, but it's really more of kind of summary data. He can actually dig in and get even more data. So in other words, you can sort of piggybacking on this sleep study using and, and the aura ring tracking the sleep. So then what then is the connection between ESS 60 and the sleep study? Well, so almost everything, you know, if you look at, look at my history um, as a supplement guy, which is really very weird for me to say, because I never intended to be a supplement guy. I actually think people get into the supplement business one of two ways. Um, either they decide they want to be wealthy and they decide they're going to do it with supplements. And I have no problem with people being wealthy. That's just not how I ended up in this business. Uh, the other is people have their own kind of physical challenges or maybe physical challenges of a loved one, and they solve those with supplementation, and now they want to save the world. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't surprise you. Uh, I, I don't have anything against people saving the world. I, I, I think that's a great thing. It's just not how I ended up here. 
I've been making this kind of carbon nanomaterial. You, you mentioned it in the intro. Uh, it was discovered in 1985 by three professors at Rice University. They won the Nobel Prize for it. And then when they, that eventually went into this famous Paris rat study where the rats lived 90% longer than the control group. So when that happened, and and I'm just giving you some background because, sorry, it's such a long-winded story. When that happened, we actually started getting phone calls of people saying, hey, how much in a dose? Um, And we've been making this carbon nanomaterial for research scientists to put, as you mentioned, in defense applications and industrial applications like tires or batteries or solar cells. Right, because so the animal reaction, study was was not a longevity study. It was a toxicity study, right? They wanted to make exactly. sure if, listen, if we're going to start using carbon-60 for industrial purposes and people are going to be handling it, we need to find out if this stuff is toxic. But then the, then the only- study evolved into a longevity study. Yeah, not only do we need to find out if it was toxic, we have reasonable reasons to believe that it is toxic, right? So, you know, you look at a, a comparable molecule, the benzene ring, and how important that is for our society. Just like you, we don't have modern society without the benzene ring. You look around your office, anything that's plastic, foundation is benzene ring. Most plastics, supplements, like most of these have a foundation of a benzene ring. Uh, but it turns out if you have benzene on its own, obviously in plastic, it's combined with everything. It's a, it's a, a, you know, gone through chemical processes to turn it into a plastic or a medicine or a supplement or a detergent. But if you have it on its own, it's actually dangerous. Uh, it's harmful and a known carcinogen. And so when this, when they discovered this buckyball, right, in 1985, uh, you know, it's got the, the soccer ball shape. So if you kind of want to picture a soccer ball, the lines on the soccer ball represent the bonds between the carbon atoms. So you have the spherical molecule of 60 carbon atoms. Well, the, the shape, right, the pentagon shape is there's a bunch of them all around the outside of the soccer ball. And, and that's the same shape as the benzene ring. And so they actually assumed that the molecule would be toxic. And you're exactly right. If we're going to be working with it on a regular basis, we need to know really in their minds, how toxic is it? Not if it's toxic, but how toxic is it? Ah. Um, mm-hmm. So in that study, they gave rats water, rats olive oil, and then rats olive oil with this ESS-60 molecule. And it was that result, peer-reviewed published research, that showed a 90% increase in life. Right. So this toxicity studies then sort of morphed into a longevity study. Yes. The single longest longevity result in experimentation, peer-reviewed published research in history. So you look at us in kind of 2013, again, people started calling us and saying, how much in a dose? We're like, no, it's, you know, it's probably, we knew it wasn't toxic by then, right? The theory was with that study was A, it might be toxic because it has some semblance to the benzene ring. But we knew that the research, and that was really kind of concrete. In fact, I'd love to give credit to the professors who actually extended their study. If you think about a toxicity study, uh, there's one thing that you know to be a fact. If your group that you're giving the quote-unquote toxic material outlives the entire control group, meaning all of the rats that were given water had passed, and all of the rats that were given olive oil with ESS-60 were still alive, it's at that moment that there is no doubt that is a non-toxic substance, right? 
Right. He could have ended the study right there, but he didn't. Exactly. Um, But they actually continued to do the animal husbandry for another 30 months, right? So the rats given uh, olive oil with ESS-60 lived uh, approximately, like on average, 62 months. And so just kudos to them for for taking that, you know, toxicity study and really doing the due diligence to, to carry it out to its fruition. And now we've got this amazing result. So right. you know, there, people start calling us how much in a dose. We're like, hey, we're really uncomfortable with this. We really didn't want to get into the supplement industry, but they kind of pushed us. And, and, and there's a ways like almost everything that we're doing is driven by what our customers are interested in. And, and I say all of that to say that what our customers tell us, like our most consistent testimonial is that our customers take the product in the morning. They report mental focus and energy during the day. And then they report better sleep that night. And so it was that continually being reported by our customers that drove us to do a sleep study. I mean, you know, obviously in these things, a lot of serendipity happens. I ended up in a conversation with Benjamin, um, found out that he was a, you know, a consultant for Aura Ring. And, you know, that's what drove, like, put the two pieces together. Because we really do believe in doing human studies with our product to support everything, really, that our, not, it's not what we're saying, hey, we created it to do this. Our customers are telling us that it's doing these wonderful things for them. Now let's figure out what is the science that we need to do behind it to prove it. Okay, so this, tell me then about the scope of this uh, sleep study then that it's being conducted. Yes. So um, a couple of things. First, let me – I'll give kind of the bad news first. Um, well, it has like good, bad, good, bad, right? So I'm <laughs> uh, working with Benjamin in late 2019. 2020 was a very interesting year. <laughs> um mm. It turns out that the Aura Ring is really good at identifying uh, people who have COVID, even often before they know they have COVID. Oh, that's fact, interesting. Yes. In fact, the NBA has authorized its players to wear the ring uh, as some sort of pre-indicator. I know of one associate who said that, that for their wife, they actually got a notification from Aura Ring, not specifically COVID-specific, um, but really saying, hey, we've noticed a difference in your temperature, an increase in your temperature. That's one of the data points that the ring provides. Uh, and you, you, you might be coming down with something, right? They have to be very vague. They can't say, you know, you have COVID. And you can imagine that Benjamin, closely tied to Aura Ring, uh, University of California, San Diego associate professor, um, he's been busy. <laughs> All of 2020, even until now, I've probably had two, um, three co- tops conversations with him uh, for all this time. So that that's kind of got sidetracked. So that's that's the that's the deep behind the scenes data. But even even before we get to that deep behind the scenes data, we actually are relying on the participants of the study, and here's what they are committing to. The free, a baseline. So collect 10 mm. days of data where we're giving them survey questions. Uh, and we've actually got a couple of results in. Uh, but the survey questions are, you know, how, uh, how was your sleep last night? Um, how quickly did you fall asleep last night? How restless was your sleep last night? And how would you how do you feel today? Right. So that that impact of that sleep. And from those, we can start to get patterns and then go look for those patterns, like the results of those patterns in the data. We're, we're also collecting some very interesting things because the Aura Ring and most of the sleep trackers, we actually recently expanded the study to include other sleep trackers. 
it does provide data in terms of of your sleep, how long were you awake of your sleep, how much REM sleep did you get, that's specific to the aura ring, um, how much light sleep did you get, how much deep sleep you, did you get, so that our uh, our um, the, our participants in the study can take that kind of rough data from their their screenshots, really from from the actual application, uh, and provide that to us, and then we can start making graphs, and then start giving things over to Benjamin for like, hey, here's what we want you to look for in the data, because uh, this is what again what the customers are saying. Go in there and let's get that you know kind of really raw data to prove out what again our customers are saying. Right. And so anecdotally, what are you hearing in terms of, let's say, REM sleep, which, of course, we know is so vital, uh, you know, when, when they when they use sleep deprivation as, as a torture, the idea is that they're by by um, eliminating that REM sleep, which we know is restorative. That's what causes, you know, people to sort of mentally break down and, and physically break down. So. Uh, what are anecdotally people telling you, let's say, for example, about their REM sleep well, after I, taking I this uh, ESS-60? Kind of the, the sleep deprivation. Um, sleep deprivation is so dangerous that the Guinness Book of World Records removed sleep deprivation from their record books because you can actually die from just sleep deprivation alone. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, and there's another thing that triggered something for me when you were talking, talking about, you know, interrupting this REM and this NREM sleep. Uh, that's the, the alternative. There's a really good book out there called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, uh, which really dives in. He's been, you know, researching in a sleep science center, uh, for 25 plus years, the, the, the detrimental impact of, of lack of sleep. And, and you look at the sleep aid industry where effectively they're doing that same torture that you just described, except they're, they're kind of getting away with it. Um, they prescribe these medications. They're supposed to be sleep aids. They, you take them right before you go to sleep. They knock you unconscious, and they actually, in your body, what they do is they relieve uh, a chemical called adenosine. So they, as adenosine builds up in our body, we have this desire for sleep. So it is able to relieve the chemical pressure caused by adenosine, so relieve that chemistry uh, chemical, but it doesn't let you get your REM sleep or your NREM sleep. So you wake up without the desire for sleep, and that feels very refreshing, right, as opposed to desiring sleep desperately. Um, but it doesn't allow you that healing, restorative sleep. And so it, it, I like to bring up that particular kind of quote-unquote sleep aid because, remember, our customers take it in the morning, and then report mental focus and energy during the day, and then better sleep that night. There's not, I'm not aware, I'm actually only aware of two other things that you can do in the morning, and they are totally like not sleep, quote unquote, sleep aid, not drug related, not supplement related, that you can do in the morning and impact your sleep at night. One of them is exercise, get exercise in the morning, as opposed to not getting exercise in the morning, you will sleep better that night. And the other is actually getting exposure to the sun. Uh, when you get exposure to the sun earlier in the day, uh, you actually yeah, start tuning your body with the circadian rhythm, with the rising and falling of the sun, and it enables you to sleep better. Uh, so, so we talk about kind of the, the big anecdote our customers take it in the morning report better sleep. We get so, a lot of um, testimonials and actually really uh, people write in and share with us how vivid their dreams have become on the product. 
So that's a good sign of like deep REM sleep. Um, we just recently started collecting this kind of REM sleep, and, and it turns out it, REM is probably a little bit bold of aura ring to claim because there's really only one way to know about REM sleep, and that's if you're wearing electrodes and you're, and you're watching brain waves to know if people are in REM sleep. So if you look on the aggregate of deep sleep and REM sleep, um, some of the people going through this study have reported a significant increase in deep sleep, and, and that you would expect um, you know, from something that's, that people are waking up and reporting that they, they had a better sleep in the morning. Chris Burroughs from C60 Evo, and we're talking about ESS60, uh, the consumable form of C60. So do we know for a fact that uh, ESS60, that it crosses the blood-brain barrier? And if so, what, what does that mean? Well, we do know that it crosses the blood-brain barrier, um, and it's really not surprising if you think about the number of atoms that are in an individual ESS-60 molecule. Um, it's pretty simple. It's exactly 60. There's 60 carbon atoms in this molecule. If you look at the typical cell in a body, uh, and this is a number that will just blow you away, the number of atoms in the typical cell of a body is 100 trillion. Wow. Yes. <laughs> That's a number that every now and then I have to go double check just because it's so large and it's maybe not intuitive that an individual cell is made up oh of all these God. complex, you know, proteins and the films around it and like all of these things. Um, and they make up a hundred and trillion, a hundred trillion atoms. And then you've got this ESS-60 molecule that's 60 atoms. So it's really not surprising that it goes kind of wherever it wants because it's so very, very small. Um, we don't have any good, uh, any good research showing a, a particular impact, good or bad, and we would expect good given all the testimonials and the fact that the, the fact that these rats live 90% longer. We don't have any specific research that's saying exactly what it's doing positive in the brain as it's able to get there. Um, I know like we can speak anecdotally and, and I'm just gonna interject here cause I'm gonna talk a, a little bit about some of my experience on the product. Uh, it's very important for me to share uh, that the FDA has not evaluated our product. It's not intended to treat, diagnose, cure or prevent any disease. Um, everybody's experience may be different. Um, so, you know, just take, understand that this is early cutting edge science uh, and, you know, that, that, that there we're working on getting the human trials that would get people more confident in, and the things that I'm about to describe. So, all right, well, I'm going to get you to describe those, Chris, in just a moment, because we've got to cut away here for a quick commercial. We'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about what's happening with you personally with, uh, ESS 60, Chris Burroughs, C60 Evo and, uh, ESS 60. Back with more on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, Chris Burroughs uh, is with us, C60 Evo, and um, back in October of 1996, the uh, Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences 
um, bestowed the 1996 Nobel Prize in chemistry to uh, several chemistry uh, scientists, and uh, this was for their discovery of carbon-60. Uh, Chris, you uh, you were about to tell us uh, what, what's happening with you um, anecdotally, because you take ESS-60 every day, as do I. So what are you noticing? Well, before I do that, I, you, you kind of brought up, like, 1996 and the award of the Nobel Prize. I want to share... Like the, the 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 weighted impact this molecule was having at that time, which kind of led to this Nobel Prize in 1991. It's actually the same year that I started the the first company manufacturing carbon nanomaterials. In that year, all ten of the ten most referenced scientific papers out of all scientific papers, they just calculate which ones are the ten most referenced. All ten of them were related to carbon nanomaterials. And so you think about today, we think about something going viral with a YouTube video or some Facebook post or some, you know, song or whatever. Uh, and we don't often think about something going viral inside of the scientific community in terms of a, a, a wonderful new discovery that just explodes onto the scene. Um, and, and really nothing was more explosive than this carbon 60, these carbon nanomaterials back then in 1991. So um, it's, it's, it, it's it been was, described as perhaps the greatest chemistry discovery of the 20th century. Yes. And I think you know you're on the right track for a Nobel Prize when they add a symbol to chemistry, to the language of chemistry. The at symbol never existed prior to this molecule. Uh, we're familiar with the at symbol in our you know, email addresses, but, but when they discovered this molecule, it turns out, despite its small size, because we kind of talked about how amazingly small this molecule is, it is big enough for any atom on the periodic chart to fit inside of it. And so now there's a new symbol in chemistry, lanthanum at C60 means lanthanum physically trapped inside of it, not co covalently or ionically bonded to the exterior. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's potentially the greatest discovery. Like it, 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 and, and I'm excited to have been in this industry, really, if you think about it, from 1991, until mid 2013, we we never thought about this product. We thought very little about this product as potentially, you know, a, something for human consumption. In fact, right. we did think about it in terms of medical applications, but we didn't think about it in terms of consumption, right? And then it wasn't until 2017 when really things started exploding and our customers kind of demanded that we start selling a high quality product. So it, I'm excited that that the this particular molecule and really kind of my industry has come this far. And I'm excited to see how, how much farther it's going to go. But the, all right, let me get to the thing that I've noticed when you ask and you talk about crossing the blood brain barrier. Um, and I'm not saying that this is specifically because it crosses the blood brain barrier, but certainly uh, the implications are there. Uh, I have I'm I am absolutely the scientist that I probably sound like right now. I'm the kind of guy who had a spreadsheet for his migraines. And I have a spreadsheet going back to 2014, tracking every single one of my migraines. I used to get four or five migraines per year. Um, and I was tracking them. I'm trying to figure out like what's causing them because they're painful. They really suck. And I want to get rid of them. And if I can figure out what's causing them, great. I'll just eliminate that from my life. And hopefully I can eliminate migraines. 
again, four or five migraines per year uh, in 2018 when I started taking the C60 Evo formula on a regular basis, I didn't get a single migraine. And you couple this with my wife. I always remember the number nine with my wife regard, regarding migraines because she used to get so many migraines that they would, uh, they would uh, give her a prescription and the prescription would only allow nine of these pills. And so any migraine after nine, she just had to endure. Uh, and there were many months where she endured more than nine. Um, in her case, when I finally got her to take the formula, uh, and it took a while because it's my wife, right? Like that's kind of seems how things go. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I finally got her to take the product, she, her migraines were reduced to one a month or one every other month. And so, you know, is that an indication of the ESS60 molecule crossing the blood-brain barrier and doing something? Um, there's more research needs to be done. Uh, right. If you go back All we can say to, is may. It may. We have to use that may, word may. Exactly. If you go back to kind of the most consistent testimonial, and again, take it in the morning, get better sleep at night. If you just get better sleep, that's going to have a positive impact on whatever migraines or whatever health challenges you're having. Because remember, there is no greater medicine at all than the sleep that you get at night. Right, right. It's incredibly restorative. It, 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 one thing that we seem to be finding, though, with with buckyballs or C60 is uh, that it it's like a free radical sponge. So talk to me a little bit about that. What does that mean? It's mopping up all these, anything that it, that encounters, really. Why is that important? Yeah, yeah so it, it's an absolutely amazing molecule. Um, there's actually, it's got symmetry. So there's six-fold symmetry. You can run six different planes through the ball around which it's symmetrical, it's symmetrical, which gives it an incredible resilience. In fact, you can take a buckyball and you can fire it at a plate of steel at 15,000 miles an hour. Most molecules would just shred apart. The buckyball actually compresses and bounces right back, uh, and that's incredible resilience. It also has this ability, again, because of the, the carbons that are exposed on the exterior of the ball, to absorb electrons and release electrons. And because of that ability and its incredible resilience, it can actually absorb and release those electrons without any degradation to the material. So this is kind of the opposite of our cell phones, right? We get a brand new cell phone or a brand new battery in our cell phone, as is the case with me recently, and now it's lasting two and a half, you know, two, a day and a half, maybe even two days. And then not too long after, depending on how you use your cell phone, um, you know, you got an ABC always be charging because you're just not going to have, you're going to run out of charge at some point. And, I, and I, the, what causes that degradation of the ability to hold a charge is actual physical degradation of the material, the battery material. Um, and so the buckyball at some point will probably be in a battery. It would be very cool. Uh, it would have a very cool name too. It would be the Bucky battery, which is just you know, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> so the reason we go, I mentioned all of that is because those electrons coming on are what, it, what help it be a free radical sponge. So 
inside of every one of your cells, in addition to this 100 trillion atoms, a lot of those atoms are, make up part of the mitochondria, right? There's a mitochondria in each and every cell, and it is the powerhouse of your cells. It is the engine of the cells. Without that, you don't have cells. Without cells, you don't have us. Um, in that mitochondria, that there's a process going on. That energy production process is called an ATP process. And that process, just like, you know, combustion with a car, you, you, you tend to, when, whenever we're kind of migrating energy from one form to another, we tend to create these byproducts that aren't necessarily good, right? Well, the same thing with the mitochondria, it's creating ROSs, reactive oxygen species, which have a negative charge. And that's back to that negative charge talking about how the buckyball can hold an electron and release electron. It can hold these reactive oxygen species and, and then release them, subsequently release them. In fact, it's, it's so unique that it, it, can, it, can, it is so small that it can get into the mitochondria, and we know we've seen tests where it's in the mitochondria, and so it's able to participate in this ATP process. If you were to fill a room with mitochondrial physician experts, and ask if it would be good to have a free radical sponge in the mitochondria while it's going through the ATP processes, all of them would say yes. And so that is one of the theories of what's going on here. And so these free radicals, which is produced by your cells, right? This is is oxidization, right? This is what leads to aging. So the, the removal of these free radicals carbon 60 acting as a magnet or a sponge as it goes through your entire body, crossing your blood, your uh, blood, brain, blood barrier, uh, soaking up all of these, these free radicals that may be then connected to the longevity because that's, it's reducing oxidization. Yeah. Yeah. Current, current medical thought is that aging is um, an oxidation uh, and and an inflammation process. So it's kind of not surprising that the formula that was associated with the longest longevity result in history on mammals, peer-reviewed, published research, um, has the benefit of or has the characteristic of being an antioxidant. In fact, there's one study that shows it to be 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Um, and when it comes to anti-inflammatory, we know that it's, it's at a minimum, it's good as an anti-inflammatory as it's related to physical exercise. Um, we're not, because here in the States with the FDA, we're not allowed to comment on does it have a positive impact on, you know, just inflammation in general, because that's kind of seen as making some sort of claim about disease. Right. What we can't well, say I, is, I can only speak, yeah. uh, we, we got to head into a break here, Chris, but I can yeah. only speak anecdotally. And, and, you know, I'm north of 57 years old and I, and I, uh, I am singular among all of my friends and acquaintances that are my age or even younger or an older that I can honestly say, I do not have any, I don't have a sore back. I don't have stiffness. You know, I bend over to tie my shoes. I don't go, ah, none of that. Uh, and you know, I take it regularly. That's all all I can say anecdotally. So, uh, we'll uh, pick up on this when we come back. Chris Burroughs is, uh, with C60 Evo. And we're talking about ESS 60, the consumable form of this miracle molecule, carbon 60 back with more. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order. 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. A quick programming note coming up next week on the program. Wallace Wagner Jr., the author of Crossing the Crevice, and uh, he wants to... Uh, prepare, if you will, Christians for UFO disclosure. He said it's coming and it's going to be disruptive. Uh, he's a, a Bible-believing Christian, and but also believes in the existence of extraterrestrials and the fact that they are, he believes, interacting with human civilization, have been since uh, biblical times, and um, uh, wants to prepare Christians for this eventuality. Uh, all right, so back to Chris Burroughs from C60 Evo, and uh, we don't have a lot of time here, but I, I want to also touch on, because, you know, we take it under the, uh, we take a, a, a tablespoon uh, every day. It's suspended in olive oil, a product very familiar in this Greek household, I can assure you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, olive oil is, is, is that a, the best sort of way to suspend uh, the C60 molecules in olive oil? Because you can also get it in avocado oil and coconut oil. Absolutely. So then, now I'll talk about all those and actually share my routine because I kind of throw in all of those things in in my routine. And just a, a slight technical, there's a, there is a difference between something be, being suspended in a liquid and something actually being dissolved. And let me talk about that because it's actually really, really important. Um, if you, we can, we can put a lot of, uh, of, so, so really ESS60 is a black powder. We can put a lot of this black powder, uh, inside of oil and get it to suspend. The problem is, is that when you're putting it in and it's suspended, it's still in a crystalline form, which means that, that you're a lot, you're actually a lot closer to the, like, a hundred trillion atoms that might be associated with a cell. Um, you're more, you're closely related to that. So you can imagine the difference in surface area between a suspension where it's still crystalline and a solution where it's actually dissolved. The solution is down to the monomolecular. So there's actually individual molecules of ESS60 really kind of interacting with the oils in such a way that, that they'll never settle out. Uh, you know, if you centrifuge it or uh, heat it up and cool it down. It's that ESS60 is not going to come out. So that's a really, it's really important to know that difference because uh, I'm sure there's some products out there that are claiming higher concentrations. There's even, you know, if you look in the C60 space, there's people who say that there, there's a, um, they don't even un- really understand the difference between the, the the fact that something could be a suspension and it could actually be in solution, and that in solution is so bioavailable versus the crystalline form. Ah, okay. So, so it's important to say that it's not suspended; it's dissolved. Yeah, because that does give it down, get it down literally okay. to the individual molecule level is now available right. for your body to interact with it. So, folks, um, forget what I said about suspension. It's dissolved. <laughs> dissolved. My bad. No, it's, it's all right. So you, you look at olive oil, right? Because your question is, like, it, you've got olive oil. In fact, we sell olive oil, avocado oil, and MCT oil. And I can tell you that we actually wouldn't have avocado or MCT on the market if our clients weren't actually interested in that product. So again, they drove us. When we get big orders of, of our MCT product, we actually reach out to the customers. You know, they can order a case at a time and we'll reach out to the customers and say, 
do you, are you sure you really want MCT? It's the best product on the market, we believe. Um, and it's, it, you know, you're going to get a good experience. But if you look at, we're such a science-based organization, the original research was on olive oil. And even if the next thing I'm about to say wasn't true, we would probably still be steering you towards olive oil. But what is also true is that you can get more of the ESS-60 molecules into olive oil. You can get about 0.8 milligrams per milliliter. And then you can get about 0.6 milligrams per milliliter in avocado and then about 0.3 milligrams per milliliter in MCT. Uh, And so there's two reasons that we recommend the olive oil over the other oils is first and foremost, the research was done on the olive oil, not the other oils. And then second, you can actually get a higher concentration. Now, let me just quickly share my typical routine. Uh, You talked about taking a tablespoon. I'm probably consuming about that much on a daily basis. When I wake up in the morning, there's a a recipe for coffee called Bulletproof Coffee. It includes some ghee and it includes some really some MCT. Well, I use our MCT instead of the MCT from, from Bulletproof Coffee. Uh, and that includes our, you know, ESS-60 molecule. While that's mixing, I will actually take a teaspoon and a half of our olive oil product. So I'm right there. I'm probably getting about, almost, I'm getting close to a tablespoon. And then when I, I usually have a salad for lunch, I usually put our avocado product um, on my salad. And so those are the, kind of the three products and how uh-huh. I consume on a daily basis. Interesting. All right. This was a short segment, Chris, so we'll uh, come back. I want to talk. You can also uh, put it on your skin. You don't have to take it uh, internally. You can also rub it on your skin. There's an advanced facial serum, and uh, we'll talk about that as well. Chris Burrows from C60 Evo, and back with more of this conversation. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. So, Chris, uh, Carbon 60, they've tested it with um, in in skincare applications. And and so talk to me about uh, you've got an advanced facial serum using ESS-60 as well. Yeah, yes, we do. And and I'll share kind of the, a little bit of the backstory. <clears throat> so one of my business partners, Patty, was uh, actually on a regular basis. Well, there's two separate things. So first off, our customers who, who take the product internally, one of the things that they were reporting were kind of improvements in skin and improvements related to hair. Uh, and then you couple that with my business partner, Patty, was, you know, any time you have a bottle of anything, especially oil tends to drip a little bit. So if you have a little bit around the surface, she would take it, you know, make sure to clean it up with her finger and then and put it on her, on her hand and on her face. And she was noticing a dramatic difference. So she approached me and was like, hey, uh, you know, we should come up with something to kind of capture both of these things. We've got the internal and people reporting great things about skin from there. And then we've got the surface, and, and it wasn't just Patty, there were other, other people, but, you know, obviously Patty drove this, um, putting it on their skin externally and reporting great benefits. And so, yeah, we put that all together. Patty actually identified kind of a unique botanist who's written a number of books on botany. 
amazing lady. She she actually kind of helped identify some of the core components that we wanted to include uh, to make sure we were kind of as natural and organic as possible. Uh, and then I actually put her in contact with a, a formulator that we've been using for years. Uh, and they kind of put all of this brain power together and created this this amazing product. It's an advanced facial serum. Um, and and the testimonials that we're getting from this are just are just absolutely phenomenal. I, I you know I I'm, again I, I wasn't in, I never intended to be in the supplement business. So the first nine months of people giving me great testimonials about this you know crazy molecule I've been manufacturing for so long, and then this crazy toxicity study, and now they're giving me testimonials. It just took me a very long time. I think nine months is a long time to wrap my head around you know, what was happening, um, and I, I really wasn't expecting such great results. I knew they would be good, but I didn't think they would be as great as they are with this uh, um, advanced facial serum. Uh, so ESS60 from C60 Evo, and uh, I've hooked up to the website. If you go to strangeplanet.ca, you'll see a button there for it, uh, c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett will also get you there. C60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Now, so we've talked about imp- uh, it may improve brain function. Um, it may improve sleep. Um, it may act as a super antioxidant, uh, antibacterial, antiviral, uh, can be used for uh, skin applications. I'm also reading things about things like um, uh, it may also prove helpful as a support for male infertility treatments. Have you heard about yeah. that? Well, so um, I, I don't know the particular study that you're talking about, but it fits in line with a lot of things. I'm, I'm a little more familiar with kind of the female health side of things. Um, the, 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 here's the reality, especially when you start talking about fertility. So fertility is the, one of the, it's not the last thing on your survival list, right? Like as a human, if you're struggling to get food or you're struggling because of whatever, some, something toxins are, are challenging your body, your body that kind of comes off of, hey, we need to, to be in, you know, fertility mode. We need to be in reproduction mode and kind of goes into survival mode. So as your, as your health deteriorates, and you may not notice this, but as your health deteriorates, your fertility will, will deteriorate. Mm. And then as that health starts to come back, then that fertility will return. Uh, may help maintain strong bones, even stronger cartilage. Yeah, and that one, I don't know that particular study, It's pro- that probably can go into, and I have to be really careful, the fact that it fits into an anti-inflammatory diet. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and and um, you can feed it to your pets, right? Cats, dogs, horses, I suppose. Yes, we we have a cat version. We have a dog version. We actually have a very kind of amazing story of a horse that really the veterinarians were ready, you know, ready to to throw in the towel. Uh, and I think they had, but their owner um, they, they were reticent to tell their owner like how bad a shape the horse was. We collaborated with them on a project, got a lot of products to them. It's a horse, so it requires a lot. Um, and my understanding is, and I've got emails to, like, I, I only share testimonials when I've got a trace to the actual source, um, is that the veterinarians finally came clean to the owner and said, we didn't think this horse wasn't going to, it's not that we didn't think it was going to make it, was going to make it. Um, 
it wasn't going to make it. And we're really surprised that it's still here. And what else are people telling you about how and do, do the cats and dogs, how do you get them to take it? I mean, you can't stick a, a tablespoon of uh, ESS 60 uh, or do you put it on their food? How do you do it with with pets? You can, you can do it a couple of ways. Um, I know that, and I have videos and also my own pets, like if I put their food down now and I haven't put an eyedropper, so our product, our pet cat and dog product comes with a little eyedropper, so it's a smaller volume, of course. Um, if I don't put the eyedropper on it, like I put the food down and it doesn't kind of, even if I've fed them late, they're kind of looking up me up at me going, okay, like it's not ready yet. You need, you need to finish it. Um, you can get them dogs and cats will readily consume Well, cats, you know, can be a little more finicky of course, but, uh, will readily consume olive oil. And, and our dog and cat version is, is that olive oil again, for the scientific reasons that that was the original study and it's the highest concentration of ESS 60. And what are people reporting anecdotally with their cats and dogs after they take ESS-60? So um, I, I'm going to share just part of kind of a longer testimonial that I share. Our, our, one of our bigger distributors in Houston, uh, she originally bought the product only for her pet, and she had no intentions of taking it. She noticed such a profound difference. And really with her dog, she had an older Shih Tzu. Uh, it was really from the energy level of the Shih Tzu. So, you know, it's kind of hard to assess if the dog is sleeping better, but it's certainly fairly easy to assess that the dog has more energy. Um, and, and ultimately, she decided to try the product because of the benefits she saw in her pet uh, and then became went on to become one of our largest distributors. I always like to point out when it comes to pets and improvements that they experience on something. We're always worried, and I'm always worried in the supplement industry, uh, about placebo effect, right? It's a very powerful thing. Um, but it's the case, it is the case that animals in, are not subject to the placebo effect. They, they right. don't realize that they're getting that little eyedropper, and that eyedropper is supposed to make them feel youthful and healthy and you know, run around more, and therefore they do. That's not what happens with pets. So it's a pretty important kind of piece of information. Right. Uh, again, you can go to uh, C60 Evo, C60 Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. And um, if you use the EVRS code at checkout, EVRS, uh, you can save a little bit of money there. It's an expensive product, right? I mean, uh, people may look at the, pro the, the price and say, wow. That's pretty, uh, that's liquid gold. Uh, why, why is it so expensive? Well, so um, a couple of things. Let me, let me just start with when you get on your landing page specifically, um, they can get about a 20% discount by going on subscription. Even if they're just going to try it once, like go on subscription, you can cancel at any time, take advantage of that discount in addition to using, using your code. Um, this is, and, 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 and I, I can tell you that, that I only take this supplement. So I, I really don't take any other supplement. So I don't know, you know, if your audience is kind of, and I'm, uh, I've got to be very careful about saying, hey, don't take other supplements. If your doctor is telling you to take supplements or you understand your body well enough to know that it needs these supplements, these certain supplements, great. Um, I also know that most of the supplements that I've ever taken, I've never felt anything. Um, and I do feel something with this particular supplement. 
the reason that it's so expensive, there's, it's, it's really is related to kind of the whole production process. The way that you make the ESS, ESS-60 molecule is you actually vaporize two great graphite rods in an inert chamber. So you have this one, you have this chamber that you have to uh, make sure has no oxygen in it. And then next you're vaporizing graphite. It turns out that graphite is one of the hardest materials on the planet to vaporize. And so you actually need local temperatures of the sun to vaporize those graphite rods <laughs> wow. in that inert chamber. It's, it is literally local temperatures of the sun. If there's a sight glass that we can watch the reaction through, if you don't have welder's goggles, you will burn your eyes. If you take the goggle off and let the, the, the light shine on your skin, you will get a sunburn. Um, and that's, you know, it actually gets a, a little bit more complicated as it goes through to get the isolated C60 and then ultimately to get that ESS-60, so that's you, processed. Basically, you had to build a reactor, right? You had to build a reactor. Yes, yeah. And we, we actually, back in, 19, well, in really kind of early part of 1991, the same year that, that public, you know, all the publications were related to fullerenes, we were in the process of building what turns out to be the most efficient fullerene manufacturing piece of equipment that even exists till today. There you go. So uh, that's why it's a little pricier. It's incredibly complicated process uh, to create uh, these ESS-60 molecules. So, Chris, uh, great talking to you again. C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. And uh, people can uh, get save a little bit of money if they buy by uh, on subscription, 20%. They can save an additional 10% on checkout if they use the code EVRS. All right, Chris, be well. We'll talk again. Thanks, Richard. Chris Burris. All right, my thanks to Ryan White for producing the live stream. Carlos Cagina for technical production back next week. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, over Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.